Hello everyone! Quick announcement before we begin our episode. The most prestigious awards in the parks industry are here. World Urban Parks encourages and recognizes significant contributions made by individuals and parks to cities, open spaces, and communities with these prestigious international awards. You can apply for an individual award, which recognizes the people that make parks just so magical, or for a large urban park award, which recognizes the value large parks bring to the cities they serve. Award submissions are open until September 10th, so what are you waiting for? Visit worldurbanparks.org and go to the awards section for more information and apply today. What if we replaced our streets with parks? How would that change the way we move around our city? How would that impact our physical and mental health and change the way we relate to the people around us and to our physical environment? This week on Pod Parks, we are advocating for green networks, webs of parks and corridors and walkways that allow people to navigate the city through green public spaces. We'll discuss with experts at the forefront of the global movement for more connected cities and discover how regions around the world are transforming their roads into parks. I'm Alice Landon, and this is Pod Parks. Pod Parks, the podcast for the park minded, brought to you by World Urban Parks. So I just moved to a new neighborhood across the world, and my new daily commute starts off with a walk through a park. I get to take in the forest every morning. It sounds, it smells, and sway along with the trees as I make my way to the metro station on my way to work. This green oasis that I walk through every morning is part of Stockholm's unique network of natural spaces, parks, green corridors, and green walkways that are inside and between the different neighborhoods that make up Sweden's capital. These are fully pedestrian and cycle path networks that don't necessarily follow the city's streetscape and instead offer an alternative landscape for residents like myself to move through the city. And this means that I can essentially take on my entire commute without spending more than a minute, maybe, surrounded by cars. And Stockholm is only one of many cities that are moving away from car infrastructure and are instead of redirecting their mobility investments to parks. It's an interesting question, and I think it's it's been very interesting over Corbyn in particular to see how cities have transformed. Uh, I used to live in Mexico City, in 2015, I left before COVID. This is the first time I've been back since COVID. And it's been really interesting to see how many pocket parks there are now in the centre of Mexico City. Some of them with green infrastructure, some of them simply as places for recreation, street cafes and so on. But they provide, they activate the streetscape, they activate the place, um, they also provide greenery. This is Phil Virchuk, head of design at Steer Group. Phil has been working on transport and city planning for over 30 years. But, but the work that we're doing frequently is about how do you connect, as you mentioned, the mobility, but how do you connect these places together? Many city parks were previously connected 
the city has overtaken the parks. The parks aren't growing back into the city. But as what those urban parks or these parklets have started to do is to reintroduce the concept of a connected park through a city. And by doing that, they help to create continuity. One of the main challenges of green spaces in cities is continuity. We've talked about parks as having been historically designed to be these urban oases, these spaces of refuge from the chaos and the externalities that come from living in a city. But as oases, isolated parks can be difficult to access, making them harder to enjoy on a regular basis. And one of the big challenges we find with the work we've been doing in Toronto, for example, is that many of the parks have a narrative that flows through them, yeah. but the city interrupts that narrative. So part of what we've been trying to do there is to help to reconnect those parks into continuous flow mm -hmm. through the urban space. And whilst we haven't been doing this in Toronto, we've been in the wayfinding, the introduction of parklets and green spaces in our streets can help support that sense of, sense of place. Having a sense of place is extremely important to city residents, as we discussed a couple of weeks back in our episode with Trust for Public Land. And it is equally important for people to have access to the physical and mental health benefits of parks and to be able to engage with their community and to have access to nature on a regular basis. And so if parks are only a destination, these compounding benefits are pretty difficult to access on an everyday basis unless you are actively seeking them out and actively taking time to visit a park. But if we integrate parks as part of everyday city life by making them efficient transport routes, people can enjoy the benefits that come from being in parks while commuting to work or going out for lunch or just generally going about their day. And this has profound implications for people living in cities. Yes, well, it's a really simple, but we think powerful idea. And that is, we asked the question, what if everything we did in our cities was great for an eight-year-old and an 80-year-old? And we think if you start there, you can create better cities for everyone. Uh, we know that we've been building our cities, thinking a lot more about moving cars. And, yeah. uh, and there's been a lack of investment in great public spaces. And we know that there, that has had a disproportionate negative impact on children, on older adults, on low-income folks, on racialized individuals. So really the 880 concept is a starting point for us to bring up broader discussion on equitable cities and equitable public space. This is Amanda O'Rourke, executive director at 880 Cities, an organization that aims to redesign cityscapes to be built for eight and 80 year olds. Now the main driving principles of 880 Cities are that people have the right to safe and active mobility, welcoming and active public spaces, and inclusive city building processes. And Amanda believes that this means looking deep into how cities are designed and who they are designed for. I mean, it, we have our urban planning processes and designs have really been uh, focused on the needs of wealthy, often white, able-bodied men. And, uh, you know, I think any sort of women or a caregiver or children 
who experience public space and feel that where, you know, they're feeling like they're not really represented in the space. You can often feel, you know, when you're waiting at that bus stop. And I always think of that with my kids when they were young in the stroller. <laughs> and you're waiting at the bus stop and there's no shelter. And the bus is like, you know, 30 minutes late. And uh, you, you really think about, oh man, I'm really not at the forefront of these decisions. Yeah. My needs are not really taken into account. These experiences, which are very tangible experiences, which is why, you know, having those those folks at the table uh, and understanding their needs, these experiences are really what uh, help us understand how to create spaces that really welcome everyone and create safety and comfort uh, for people of all ages. Park design and accessibility, or lack thereof, is deeply rooted in historical inequities. And one of the ways cities are attempting to bridge the access gap is through green corridors and green networks. These are a series of parks, open spaces, green walkways, and other infrastructure that is partially or completely designed to form a mobility network within a city. Green networks allow people to walk or cycle through their parks instead of having to move through busy streets and to share their space with cars. <laughs> take me, for example. The park behind my house allows me to take a short 10-minute walk to the metro station through an urban forest that cuts between buildings in the middle of the city. If it wasn't for this walkway, I would probably have to walk twice the distance, and I'd be surrounded by cars for the entirety of my commute to the metro station. My current option is not only a more enjoyable alternative, but a more efficient one, and it makes it much easier to use public transportation because it connects right to my house. Now, of course, for this to work, cities need to make a strong investment in both green networks and public transportation systems. We're going from from large-scale mass transit, which is fundamental for large-scale cities, uh, down to local on-demand mobility services. They all have a different role. They all work together as part of that role. Um, and much of the work we've been doing of late has been developing concepts of mobility hubs that integrate local on-demand uh, transportation, let's call them, mobility services, such as micromobility, microtransit, car share, alongside mass transit. If the city doesn't have the mass transit, it's not providing the alternative yeah. for people to, to, to load their car at home. If people can park the cars in the street and not pay for it, they're going to think that that public space is theirs. Yeah. We need to change the way people think about how the city is owned, how the city operates, and provide them with credible alternatives to um, using what they think is the only viable alternative. And we're in Mexico as well and in other Latin American cities and other, um, and other parts of the world. The car seal is a protected environment. Yes. The seal is providing you with a space of sanctuary, security, privacy, away from the city is non-inclusive. And we need to create activity and safe places so that people don't feel that they need to use a car to avoid risk and danger. And minimize travel. Well-designed green corridors can provide an alternative for people to travel in a safe and enjoyable environment. And by separating these pedestrian roads from traffic, green networks can connect neighborhoods, parks, and other open spaces without the need to follow a streetscape. 
And this allows for really creative mobility solutions that are tailored to people so they can bend and narrow and widen and cut between buildings or merge with existing parks. These green networks then essentially become cool oases that are comfortable and they're safe and most importantly, where access to and through the city doesn't depend on car ownership. I mean, I think really fundamentally we should be thinking much more about, I love the idea of the 15-minute city that emerged through COVID. We did quite a bit of research on it. And the idea of the universe, the thinking, and you think about not travelling. You think about how you can create places that minimise the need to travel. You will never not need to travel. People always want to travel. You need change, you need diversity. But by providing more within easy reach of where people live, including places to work, places to relax. Parks are fundamental within the concept of 15-minute city, um, as well as all the basic amenities and needs for your day-to-day -day life. Oh. You don't need to travel. And I mean, a really interesting outcome of COVID was the continued um, approach to hybrid working and the will impact that's having on public transport, which is significant and not positive. But what it's saying to public transport is that you've had a model of operation for a long time that's been fixed on a very singular vision of how people move around our cities. And it's been fixed on a very, very much on a commuting mail AM, BM peak movement. Yeah. Whereas now, <clears throat> with more people doing more diverse journey types, Transport operators are having to think much more about dynamic, flexible routings of their services and how they can accommodate um, trip chaining, multiple trips, and be much more diverse in their operational proposition, which means that they're much more inclusive through a gender and, uh, and a kind of people perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it's not just gender, for sure. Women are much choosier when it comes to public spaces. They, uh, you know, are safety and comfort rank very high and especially if you're women take care of um, still hold a large part of the caregiving responsibilities in households so they are often towing children or multiple children a bunch of toddlers <laughs> a bag a dog a cat. and our transport patterns are very different it's you know we take a lot of smaller trips like all the research is out there that shows this but our our systems not only our mobility systems, our transportation systems, but our park systems and our uh, city building processes, like our participation systems, are not really designed in a way that incorporates our ideas and, and our ideas. Integrating green corridors implies basically redesigning public spaces and entire mobility systems to look beyond the male-oriented daily commutes and towards a more diverse makeup of the city. And a lot of this reimagining process has actually come about during and after COVID pandemic lockdowns. Regional lockdowns absolutely shifted our priorities into what we consider to be essential travel. A lot of people discovered the power of home office, <laughs> which completely shifted when and how people were moving across the city when they no longer needed to show up at their office from nine to five. And on the other hand, it cemented the importance of some other forgotten daily or weekly commutes, 
like taking the children to childcare or going grocery shopping or meeting up with friends. All of these other trips that are equally as important but are often left as a second or third priority in transportation systems. Uh, I think 50-minute cities um, by, de- by, by, by design should be inclusive places. Really? Um, 50-minute cities offer the opportunity for, pe- for people to have access, or offer the potential for people to have access to more opportunity in their local area without the need to travel. So if you're talking about gender inclusion, you're talking to, for example, if it's, a, if it's a woman who's looking after, or it could be a man who's looking after the child, taking the child to school, you no longer have to drive to that school if it's within 15 minutes, you can walk or bike. You no longer have to then come back and drive or take a, a transit to your office, you can come back and do some Teams calls. Clearly, that doesn't apply to everyone, depending on the type of work that they do. And there are people who will continuously have to make journeys to go to work where their work is in a place away from where they live. But for, for, for a percentage of the population, creating more employment opportunities in your local area minimises that need to travel, yeah. including for people who are in the service economy. From a transport perspective, rather than, rather than planning the long-distance trips, so as I was talking about the, the, the commuter trips, the AM peak, PM peak, high capacity planned movements, they will still exist, but in a different form. And it's much more about facilitating local accessible mobility options. So, you know, you asked a little bit about the 880 concept, the 880 city concept. For us, it's really about this, we talk about the three rights, the right to mobility, the right to public space, and the right to participate. And those three kind of organizing principles help us figure out how to actually engage and reimagine the city from from the lens of 880, but also these other social locations. You know, it's not, aging is a universal human experience. We're all aging. Um, But uh, in addition to that, we have to take into consideration um, other uh, social locations that actually uh, impact how we experience and navigate public space, our gender, our ethnocultural background, our race, our, our income, our ability. Uh, so 880, while it seems very um, specific, oddly specific <laughs> with the 8 and 80, uh, it is really, uh, to us, like in the concept when it was conceived, was about opening up a broader conversation on the multiple intersections uh, of uh, how public space uh, and people navigating public space uh, are imagined and, and planned. Now, this all sounds fantastic, but creating green networks takes a monumental region-wide effort, and it can be a real challenge for cities that have already taken up much of their available public space. But this doesn't mean it can't be done. And I had the opportunity to talk to two urban planners who are working alongside city officials and their local communities to make green networks a reality for their cities. So uh, completing the loop, is a sort of culmination of River Life's work for the past couple of decades. It was an organization that started in 1999 uh, when a number of leaders came together and said, you know, we can be doing more with, with what are really the premier natural resources of our city, Pittsburgh. 
This is Gavin White, Director of Planning and Projects at River Life, an organization that is working to transform Pittsburgh's downtown riverfronts into active corridors for its citizens. Uh, which until then had really been utilized for, for industry as a sort of dumping ground and uh, it never really served people in terms of an opportunity for recreation or or nature in, in terms of a healthy riverbank condition or, or any of that. And so uh, way back in, in 1999 and 2000, they, they came up with this idea called Connecting the Loop, which was to really build a system of riverfront trails and open space around the three rivers. So Pittsburgh's got three rivers, the, the Allegheny, the Monongahela, and the Ohio. And, and we at River Life are focused on the sort of downtown core of those three rivers and envisioned this loop that connected around and, and across each of them. And we now are the stewards of, of that vision. From their work in the early 90s onwards, River Life has evolved into this new vision of what they call completing the loop, which is essentially creating a fully integrated network between the three rivers to allow everyone in the city to have equal access to their riverfronts. This new vision has been built alongside the community, and it really, really champions the vision of riverfronts as connectors between the city and between its people. Another moniker for the city of Pittsburgh is the city of bridges. That bridges connecting uh, both sides of the river. Um, but, you know, people sort of stay in their neighborhoods at times, right? They, they're not going to cross the many bridges that we have because it's a hassle and it takes too much time or, and it's not accessible or exciting. And so uh, our work, and, and there are many people involved, is to really make those bridges and make those riverfronts better connected to you know have accessible routes to and and from the bridges and to and you know enhance those those bridges for more than just cars which is pretty typical in the states i think that's a critical role that parks play in general and in sort of building that alternative mobility infrastructure and and certainly uh, for us, the riverfronts are key to that. That's where most of our separated bike trails and multimodal trails are. Uh, Pittsburgh's a very hilly city, so the rivers are the, the one place that is flat and therefore naturally accessible for people of all ages and abilities. Um, but there are certainly barriers, right? A lot of those trails were built on old rail, railroad corridors. Uh, but there still are active rail corridors that both, you know, serve a function in yeah. terms of non-automobile infrastructure, but also can really be barriers to some of that trail construction. Uh, and again, the bridges that cross the rivers and help complete that loop, um, many of them are not accessible. So the trails sort of stop at a set of stairs or, or you know, rather unpleasant landing as opposed to being a continuous loop of trails and and the the real way in which we're going to be able to have successful alternative mobility systems is to have a complete network right which is why completing the loop is so important for us if across the continent similar issues arise jorge perez jaramillo advisor for the government of antioquia colombia has been working for decades in the development of Parques del Rio, 
one of the largest urban projects in the city of Medellin, Colombia. The park consists of over 185 kilometers of pathways and 100,000 new trees. And most importantly, the park is burying its highways to create the biggest green corridor the city has ever seen. Well, it is actually the most important project uh, I've ever uh, seen in, in, in my job because it is not a project, it's a strategy. I okay. think the project is like um, uh, uh, a strategy in terms of it, it, it comes from the, the river basin completely integrated from the mountains to the little streams and then to the main river, trying to understand how you can uh, connect the ecological uh, ecosystems and uh, and also how you can contribute to recover the green areas and the green lands that still exist. But also it works about urbanization because it's in the middle of the city. It is a, a completely transformed uh, uh, landscape that needs to recover the relation with the water, with the forests and with, with the green area. So, well... We started to work in the in the main general plan of the city as a continuity of the f uh, existing tradition of planning in, in Medellin, and we realized that we could uh, recover the river from being just a place for trains and cars and trucks and machines, only a functional. Uh, line along the valley to um, realize that it could be ag again the heart of the city. Not unlike many cities across the world, in the 20th century, Medellin filled up with high-speed lanes and highways, and much of the transportation infrastructure that had been designed to connect people eventually began constraining them. Medellin was built upon a city, uh, upon a, a small river that was uh, free on the flat areas and uh, since 1950 it became channelized and re uh, surrounded by highways and uh, uh, railway tracks and so on and the city was on both sides a divided city a city that could not be connected for pedestrians and for the people only through machines like cars so the idea was to connect the city to reintegrate the city but also to understand the possibility of the river as a landscape connecting connecting the river through the streams through linear parks that was an idea that started from the 50s but it didn't have enough continuity. And then to recover the water and to recover the borders of the river as public spaces. But the river project doesn't ignore that it was invaded by highways up until not too long ago. A main objective of Parques del Rio is to create efficient transport networks where non-motorized transport is prioritized and people's daily commutes are connected through green corridors and parks that feed into mass transit systems. That was one of the main uh, uh, priorities for the project, understanding that the, the valley is a very complex one as it's a crossroads from the region. So the pressure uh, by the mobility systems that comes from the regions, from the nation, and even though, and even from inside, uh, makes the, the river the, the main structure 
to promote a better mobility for the society. So besides the parks, besides the public spaces for the people, there are um, mobility systems, very complex mobility systems that includes a new train. We call it Tren del Rio, train of the river, which is the um, uh, complement complementation of the metro system. Then we have the network of bike lanes that includes the uh, objective to have 400 kilometers of uh, uh, bike lanes around the center of the town or of the valley. And then we also include the possibility to have pedestrians that can walk and cross the river for the first time in our history. So this is a, it, it's a basic com, uh, component of the project, uh, what we call mobility. But also, uh, as I have said before, the plan of the, the general plan of the city is integrated completely yeah. to the river park system. So we transform the what we call the pyramid of mobility to prioritize in the first level non-motorized mobility. So the park is basic. Without the river parks project, it is impossible to have the continuity between both borders and to connect the whole city for pedestrians and bike lanes. So, well, mobility is a basic, basic uh, and very structural and functional thing for the for the city through the river park solution. Pittsburgh's riverfront and Medellin's Parques del Rio are only two of many successful projects around the globe that are redesigning and creating new green corridors that connect people, communities, and wildlife within a city. But these colossal transformations take time, and they require a whole lot of synchrony in people's collective vision of their city. And that's pretty tough, especially when people have been led to believe that the only way that they can move through a city is by driving. So to start off these conversations, our experts suggest to really get creative, spark people's imagination through temporary activations and community gatherings that can open up conversations and start materializing what that dream city with more parks and less roads would look like. You know, we really focus on bringing people together to transform mobility in public space. And that means bringing people together in a collaborative approach to change a street, for example. We, you know, just one month ago, we took one block of a street in front of a city hall in a, in a medium-sized city in, in Canada and transformed it into a park. We brought out grass, uh, we put in place structures, temporary, it was only over the course of the weekend. We brought in uh, really great programming uh, that represented some of the needs that the community had identified. They wanted a place for, for um, cultural ceremony. We had uh, indigenous uh, fire keeper there. We brought in a, a, a fire and people roasted marshmallows and, and were able to connect in a way uh, that the parks had not been designed to do and so uh, previously. This is about demonstrating that change can happen quickly, uh, change can be collaborative, uh, and uh, we can do this. Like we can reimagine space. It just it just means sort of changing the way that we approach it. And uh, you know, in in less than 24 hours, a street that was. Uh, focused on moving vehicles was transformed into a place for social gathering and a sense of belonging 
and cultural connection. And, um, but I think these kind of demonstration projects are really great ways to build a broader movement where people go, oh yeah, it doesn't have to be this way. We, we could actually have nice things like this in our city. And, and the, the park uh, can have a place for my kids to play and for me to connect with my friends. And um, so it's those kind of demonstration projects that I think help build a broader uh, collective movement to advocating for those big changes to, you know, the whole parks master plan, which is exactly what that one was about. It was like, how do we demonstrate some of these ideas and feed it into a broader planning strategy, which is going to be incorporated into that in the long term. I personally cannot wait to explore Stockholm through its parks and urban forests. And I wish nothing but for everyone else to be able to enjoy their daily commutes as they're transformed into lush oases and as they paint their cities green. And if you've made it this far, I hope you feel the same. I hope you also want a city that is connected through nature for its people. So go out there and you know it, build more parks. This is the end of today's episode, but the conversation could go on forever. So let's continue this in our metaphorical group chat. Subscribe to our podcast to dive further and further into the issues that are more relevant today than ever before. And visit worldurbanparks.org to discover resources like toolkits, case studies, and collective knowledge that can help you transform your city into a green network. What would your ideal commute look like? Write us a review to let us know. Pod Parks is written and hosted by Alice Landon, produced by Vittoria Martin and Luis Romano, sound engineering by Vladimir Yandis. Don't forget to visit worldurbanparks.org and explore the resources our community has for you. Get out, explore, connect.